This audio is presented by Hacker Noon, where anyone can learn anything about any technology. The Death More Hideous, by Astounding Stories. Astounding Stories of Super Science April 1931, by Astounding Stories is part of Hacker Noon's book blog post series. You can jump to any chapter in this book here. Four Miles Within, Chapter 5, A Death More Hideous. Quaid was there first. When they burst out of a narrow crevice, not far from the funnel-shaped opening they had originally entered, they saw him standing beside the open door of the sphere as if waiting. The searchlight inside was still on, and in its shaft of light they could see that he was smiling thinly, once more his old, confident self. It would only take him a second to jump in, slam the door and lock it. Heckled afford a last gesture. Dot. Dot dot. The three stopped short. They saw something he did not. So, he observed in his familiar, mocking voice. He paused, seeing that they did not come on. He had plenty of time. He said something else, but the two men and the girl did not hear what it was. As if by a magnet their eyes were held by what was hanging above him, clinging to the lip of the hole the sphere had made in the ceiling. It was an amoeba, another of those single-celled, protoplasmic mounds of flesh. It had evidently come down through the hole, and now it was stretching, rubber-like, lower and lower, a living, reaching stalactite of whitish hunger. Quaid was all unconscious of it. His final words reached Phil's consciousness. Quote dot. Dot dot. And this time, of course, I will keep the top disintegrators on. No other monster will then be able to weigh me down. He shrugged his shoulders and turned to the door. And that movement was the signal that brought his doom. Without a sound, the poised mass above dropped. James Quaid never knew what hit him. The heap of whitish jelly fell squarely. There was a brief moment of frantic lashing, of tortured struggles, then only tiny ripples running through the monster as it fed. Sue Guinness turned her head. But the two men for some reason could not take their eyes away. Dot. Dot dot. It was the girl's voice that jerked them back to reality. The other. She gasped. It's coming. Behind. They had completely forgotten the mass in the tunnel. Turning. They saw that it was only 15 feet away and approaching fast. And instinctively they ran out into the cavern. Skirting the sphere widely. When they came to Quaid's wrecked borer Phil. Who had snatched a glance behind. Dragged them down behind it. For he had seen their pursuer abandon the chase and go to share in the meal of its fellow. We'd best not get too far away, he whispered. When they leave the front of the borer, maybe we can make a dash for it. For minutes that went like hours the young man watched, waiting for the creatures to be done, hoping that they would go away. Fortunately the sphere lay between, and he was not forced to see too much. Only one portion of one of the monsters was visible, lapping out from behind the machine. Dot. Dot dot. At last his body tensed, and he gripped Sue and her father's arm in quick warning. The things were leaving the sphere. Or, rather, only one was. For Phil saw that they had agglutinated, merged into oneness, and now the monster that remained was the sum of the sizes of the original two. And more. Dot. Dot dot. They all watched. And they all saw the amoeba stop, hesitate for a moment, and come straight for the wrecked borer behind which they were hidden. Damn. Phil whispered hoarsely. It's still hungry, and it's after us. David Guinness sighed wearily. It's heavy and sluggish, now, he said, Samibe if we run again. Though I don't know how I can last any longer. Dot. Holmes did not answer. His eyes were narrowed, he was casting about desperately for a plan. He hardly felt Sue's light touch on his arm as she whispered, in case, Phil, in case. Dot. Dot dot. This must be goodbye. Dot. But the young man turned to her with gleaming eyes. Goodbye, nothing, ha cried. We've still got a card to play. She stared at him, wondering if he had cracked from the strain of what he had passed through. But his next words assured her he had not. 
Go back, Sue, he said levelly. Go far back. We'll win through this yet. She hesitated, then obeyed. She crept back from the wrecked borer, back into the dim rear, eyes on Phil and the sluggish mass that moved inexorably towards him. When she had gone fifteen or twenty yards she paused, and watched the two men anxiously. Phil was talking swiftly to Professor Guinness. His voice was low and level, and though she could not hear the words she could catch the tone of assurance that ran through them. She saw her father nod his head, and he seemed to make the gesture with vigor. I will, she heard him say, and he slapped Phil on the back, adding, but for God's sake, be careful. And with these words the old man wormed inside Quaid's wrecked borer and was gone from the girl's sight. She wanted desperately to run forward and learn what Phil intended to do, but she restrained herself and obeyed his order. She waited, and watched, and saw the young man stand up, look at the slowly advancing monster, and deliberately walk right into its path. Sue could not move from her fright. In a daze she saw Phil advance cautiously towards the amoeba and pause when within five feet of it. The thing stopped, remained absolutely motionless. She saw him take another short step forward. This time a pseudopod emerged, and reached slowly out for him. Phil avoided IT easily, but by so narrow a margin that the girl's heart stopped beating. Then she saw him step back, and, snail-like, the creature followed, pausing twice, as if wary and suspicious. Slowly Phil Holmes drew it after him. To Sue, who did not know what was his plan, it seemed a deliberate invitation to death. She forgot about her father, lying inside the mangled borer, waiting. She did not see that Phil was leading the monster directly in front of it. Dot. Dot dot. It was a grotesque, silent pursuit. The creature appeared to be unalert. ITS movements were sloth-like. Yet the girl knew that if Phil once ventured an inch too close, or slipped, or tried to dodge past it to the sphere, its torpidness would vanish and it would have him. His maneuvering had to be delicate, judged to a matter of inches. Tense with the suspense, the strain of the slow-paced seconds, she watched, and yet hardly dared to watch, fearful of the awful thing she might see. It was a fantastic game of tag her lover was playing, with death the penalty forwardiness. The slow, enticing movements were repeated again and again, Phil advancing very close, and stepping back in the nick of time. Always he barely avoided the clutching white arms that were extended, and little by little hedicoid the thing onward. Dot. Dot dot. Then came the end. As Holmes was almost in front of the wrecked machine, Sue saw him glance quickly aside, and, as if waiting for that moment when he would be off guard, the monster whipped forward in a great, reaching surge. Sue's ragged nerves cracked. She shrieked. They had him. She started forward, then halted abruptly. With a tremendous leap, Phil Holmes had wrenched free and flung himself backwards. She heard his yell. Now. There was a sputter from the bottom of the outstretched border. Then, like the crack of a whip, came a bellow of awful sound. A thick cloud of dust reared up, and the ear-numbing thunder rolled through the cavern in great pulsing echoes. And then Sue Guinness understood what the young man had been about. The disintegrators of James Quaid's borer had sent a broad beam of annihilation into the monster. His own machine had destroyed his destroyer, and given his intended victims their only chance to escape from the dread fate he had schemed for them. Sue could see no trace of the creature in its pyre of slow-swirling dust. Caught squarely, its annihilation had been utter. And then, through the thunder that still echoed in her eardrums, she heard a joyful voice. We got him. Through the dusty haze Phil appeared at her side. He flung his arms oop exultantly, swept her off the ground, hugged her close. We got him. He cried again. We're free, free to go up. Professor David Guinness crawled from the borer. His face, for the first time since the descent, wore a broad smile. Phil ran over to him, slapped him on the back, 
and the older man said, You did it beautifully, Phil. He turned to Sue. He had to decoy them right in front of the disintegrators. It was, well, it was magnificent. All credit to Sue. She was my inspiration. Phil said, laughing. But now, headed, let's see if we can fix those dead rocket tubes. I have a patient oop above, and, anyway, I'm not over fond of this place. The three had one through. They had blasted four miles down from the surface of the earth. The brain of an elderly scientist, the quick-witted courage of a young engineer, had achieved the seemingly impossible, and against obstacles that could not have been predicted. Death had attended that achievement, as death often does accompany great forward steps. James Quaid had gone to a death more hideous than that he devised for the others. But, in spite of the justice of it, a moment of silence fell on the three survivors as they came to the spot where his fate at last had caught up to him. But it was only a moment. It was relieved by Professor Guinness's picking up the chunk of radium ore his former partner had hewn from the cavern's wall. He held it up for all to see, and smiled. Here it is, he said simply. Then he led the way into his earth borer, and the little door closed quietly and firmly into place. For a few minutes slight tappings came from within, as if a wrench or a screwdriver were being used. Then the tapping stopped, and all was silence. A choke, a starting cough, came from beneath the sphere. A torrent of rushing sound burst out, and spears of orange flame spurted from the bottom and splashed up its sides, bathing it in fierce, brilliant light. It stirred. Then, slowly and smoothly, the great ball of metal raised up. It hit the edge of the hole in the ceiling, and hung there, hesitating. Side rockets flared, and the sphere angled over. Then it slid, roaring, through the hole. Swiftly the spots of orange from its rocket tube exhausts died to pinpoints. There were now almost twenty of them. And soon these pinpoints wavered, and vanished utterly. Then there was only blackness in the hole that went up to the surface. Blackness in the hole, calm night on the desert above, and silence, as if the cavern were brooding on the puny figures and strange machines that had for the first time dared invade its solitude, in the realms four miles within the earth. Dot. 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 About Hacker Noon book series, we bring you the most important technical, scientific, and insightful public domain books. This book is part of the public domain. Various. 2009. Astounding Stories of Super Science, April 1931. Urbana, Illinois. Project Gutenberg. Retrieved May 2022 from https colon slash slash www.gutenberg.org. Files, 30452, 30452H, 30452H. HTM hash page underscore 76. This ebook is for the use of anyone anywhere at no cost and with almost no restrictions whatsoever. You may copy it, give it away or reuse it under the terms of the Project Gutenberg license included with this ebook or online at www. Gutenberg. Org. Located at https colon slash slash www. Gutenberg. Org. Policy. License. HTML. Thank you for listening to this Hackernoon story, read by Artificial Intelligence. Visit hackernoon.com to read, write, learn and publish. Dot.